Take control and keep control of tough weeds with the easy-to-use liquid formulation of Chateau EZ herbicide. Chateau EZ controls more than 90 annual broadleaf and grass weeds in orchards and vineyards. Visit valent.com slash Chateau EZ. Always read and follow label instructions. As a disclaimer, views expressed in interviews are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of My Ag Life, JCS Marketing, and its employees. Welcome to My Ag Life, where we cover your world in agriculture. This podcast is powered by the top publications in the industry, West Coast Nut, Progressive Crop Consultant, and Organic Farmer Magazine. Here is your host, Taylor Chalstrom. Hi, welcome to My Ag Life. Today we're talking with Roger Isom, President and CEO of Western Agricultural Processors Association, about ongoing pesticide activism that is once again threatening the California agriculture industry and the California tree nut pulling and processing industry. Welcome back to the show, Roger. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, great to have you here again. So, Roger, these pesticide activists have recently taken aim at agriculture once again and are looking to revoke tolerances and cancel registrations for food use organophosphates. Can you explain what the activists are are really asking for here, the, the gravity of the situation, really? Well, sure. The The one thing I'd, I'd say is that, you know, you started off the conversation by saying once again, that's the critical part here. This is one uh, piece of what I call an all-out assault against pesticides. Uh, I think, you know, whether it's Californians for Pesticide Reform or or uh, PANA, you know, Pesticide Action Network in North America, they're very clear. They want to eliminate pesticide use. And so in any of these movements or discussions that we bring up and talk about related to pesticides, that's the underlying fact is that they want to, to eliminate pesticide use. And, you know, the thing that, that might shock them is that that would be great. We'd love to eliminate pesticide use. Uh, every single dollar we spend on pesticide uh, use is a dollar less we're going to make. We don't want to do that. I mean, that's just plain and simple. We have no intention of doing that. We don't start the year off with wanting that. But unfortunately, we live in a world that wants, you know, the perfect apple. They don't want worms in them. They, they don't want worms in their pistachios and, and they want a quality product and that's what it takes. Otherwise we're going to be infested. We're not going to, it's going to take twice, three times the amount of land to produce what we produce today. If we just go out there and, and do not spray or do not try to control these pests. <clears throat> this latest movement is against OPs or organophosphates. Um, by their very nature, they are some of the most toxic uh, pesticides out there. Uh, but they also, because of that, have some of the most stringent restrictions on use and application and buffer zones of any products we use. Uh, by their very nature, you know, most of them are restricted use materials. You know, only certain people can apply them under the under certain very limited conditions. And so, uh, EPA, federal EPA, and the California Department of Pesticide Regulation or DPR here at the state level have put in the most stringent requirements on pesticide use in California than anywhere in the world. And I've said this many times, I've said this on the show before, there are a lot of products that we can't use here in California that can be used in 49 other states because of those restrictions. Um, so 
when we talk about uh, OPs and that, um, it's it's not just devastating to the tree industry. It's devastating to a lot of commodities. So many products have been taken away. Corpirifos, endosulfan. I mean, just you could go on and on. We're very limited in the number of tools we have to try to combat uh, certain pests. And if you take away the OPs, then you're really limiting your products out there to things that can be as bad or worse, or you to the point where you have to use them so many times that resistance builds up. I mean, that's the other thing that we don't want to use products so much that uh, a, a particular insect builds resistance and then nothing works. Then you've got a real problem. So we, what we want to do is we want to alternate use, uh, certainly with different uh, toxicological endpoints so that they can't build resistance. So we want to, we want to, you know, have a variety of products we can use and we are every year narrowing and narrowing that down further. So it's, it's definitely a concern for us. And when we look at the, this particular issue with the, the OP uh, call out. Certainly. And one of those OPs that the activists are targeting, Roger, is dichlorbos, which uh, many in the tree nut holding and processing industry know well. Uh, it's a useful product for them and it's important um, for certain pests. You know, can you kind of explain what the overall importance of dichlorbos um, is to the industry since we're going to be talking about it here? Yeah. So one of our issues that we face in a lot of food facilities face this is not so much the commodity itself, but the structure. You know, when we put in or when we like a nut processing facility and that, you know, you can do so much cleaning, but material is going to work its way into cracks, work its way into parts of machinery that you just can't clean and just gets to areas that where these pests like red flower beetle, confused flower beetle and some other really devastating uh, pests, Indian meal moth, um, that we can't get any other way to where we pull everybody out, pull everything out, and we have to fumigate or 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 attack the facility itself. And dichlorovos is one of the most, if not the most effective product we have out there. It's very safe. We, again, we pull everybody out of the facility. They do it like over Thanksgiving weekend, things like that when nobody's going to be there. Um and, and use it, and it's it's extremely effective. People have tried other commodities, some of our normal fumigants in that, and it just doesn't work. Or you've got to use more of it than you than you normally would in order to try to control the stuff. So dichlorobos is, is just one of those ones where there's really no alternative that works as well. And and again, we have we've had no issues. There's we don't see any risk from it. All of the risk concerns to either bystanders or workers in that have already been addressed by EPA and DPR in the registration process. You know, anybody that looks at a pesticide that's gone through the federal registration process has to understand there's been a thousand-fold safety factor applied to that pesticide and the, and the allowed uses. So we've more than controlled uh, concerns in that. Because, again, not only do we not want to use pesticides, we want our workers and our employees and ourselves to be safe there, there's no intent out there and no desire whatsoever to apply these unsafely or in a situation where it's going to cause harm. Absolutely not the case. And uh, EPA and DPR and our county ag commissioners ensure that when we do the do these applications. Certainly great. And we're going to get more into dichlorbos here after a word from our sponsors. 
Control weeds from the start with the easy-to-use liquid formulation of Chateau EZ herbicide. Chateau EZ controls more than 90 annual broadleaf and grass weeds in orchards and vineyards, including marestail, fleabane, mallow, and more. Take control and keep control of tough weeds with the proven pre-emergence performance of Chateau EZ herbicide, now an easy-to-use liquid formulation. Talk to your PCA or visit valent.com slash Chateau EZ. Always read and follow label instructions. Hi, we're back talking with Roger Isom, President and CEO of Western Agricultural Processors Association, about ongoing pesticide activism that is once again threatening the California agriculture industry. Um, so Roger, you talk about dichlorvos, um, and you know a lot of these activists are making some pretty interesting claims about um, organophosphates like dichlorvos, um, but they're not really with any scientific basis. Can you kind of explain, you know, why they're not with that with that basis? Well, that's the very issue. Uh, again, you, if you understand EPA's registration process and you understand DPR's registration process, which DPR takes it a few steps further, requires additional studies, that work's been done. And when the activists come and make these complaints and, uh, and that there's no additional information, no studies that they bring forward that show, oh, that study done by UC Davis or that study done by these researchers is inaccurate. Um, it's not there. Uh, they don't have data to back up what they're what they're stating. And so uh, what are we supposed to go on? I mean, if, if somewhere somehow DPR EPA made a mistake and there's a new study out there that shows, oh, no, wait a minute. Wow. There's a lot higher concentration downwind than what we thought before or that a given concentration is much, much more toxic than what DPR or EPA stated, then, hey, then, then I get it. We understand it. We're going to live with that. But that's not what we're seeing. Or, or the estimates of, you know, like on chlorpyrifos, where they assume an eight-year-old is sitting at the property line, breathing it every day for 20 years of the time. I mean, come on. That's, that's you know, that's not even realistic. Uh, again, you know, you, you live and die by the sword, and science sometimes shows you have to do other things. Uh, there's products we'd like to see registered right now, which just don't meet the levels. And so we can't use them. And we understand that. And it's tough, but that's the science shows that. So um, in this case, these pesticides, these fumigants have gone through a rigorous, rigorous peer reviewed science uh, uh, and research and shown to be safe. And, there, and the claims and that just aren't backed up by any of that same science. Uh, so that's that's the issue for us. Definitely. And I appreciate that perspective, Roger, that, um, you know, organizations like WAPA and the industry in general, you know, they're willing to accept, um, you know, when science says that, um, you know, when it recommends one thing over another and that there are uh, data to back it up um, and that, you know, again, the industry is willing to accept those conclusions, but that in this case, that that is not what is happening. Um, so I appreciate that that perspective there. Um, but Roger, I, I really want um, to get your opinion on what the, you know, if if any of the requests um, by the activists, you know, to revoke the tolerances and cancel registrations for these OPs um, are successful, you know, what could actually be the consequence to the tree nut holding and processing industry? Um, since that's what we're talking about in the context of dichlorbos, um, if any of that is successful, what could be the consequences? 
So uh, where do you start? Well, let me start with, with some of the issues we've seen with uh, um, not using dichlorovos or, or having an issue where you have an infestation of uh, Indian meal moth or, or red flower beetle. We've seen this year, it's been a particularly bad pest year in, in our warehouses and some of our processing facilities, it's been challenging. And we've seen loads rejected because the, these uh, pest counts are too high in the product that's going out. And, and challenges literally in places we had never seen before. You take away dichlorovos and, and some of these products, that's going to be worse. And, you know, right now we're seeing on, on the tree nut side, we're seeing much lower prices um, than we've ever seen before. And the inability to ship the product, which has made it a challenge. You add on further that you're, if you do whatever you do get shipped gets rejected, then you're going to see an economic disaster happen. And, Again, I, I, we've seen some, some, I've seen pictures, I've heard um, direct reports from some folks that we've just seen these infestations higher than we ever have before, or where, where they weren't using the, the products, uh, hoping that they could get by without it, it catches up to them. And it's very hard to, to catch back up, you know, you, you literally got to shut it down and, and do as thorough cleaning as you, as you possibly can, and then you got to kill what's left over. And, and you got to stay on top of it because that material starts getting back in there. They find a way. They just find a way. And so you you, you got to be very rigorous in your cleaning and uh, and then and your control. And, and it starts with cleaning. I mean, that's the most effective thing is minimize the ability to harbor these things. And then what what you can't do or what gets through, then you have to you have to control it. Yeah, it sounds like it could even get as severe as to like a loss of jobs as well. Well, uh, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the issue. If we, if we can't sell this product um, in any significant amounts, what are we going to do? Like I said, we're, we're seeing, you know, certainly on the walnut side, but we're seeing definitely reduced prices on the almond side. Um, you can't move or sell this product. There has economic consequences all the way back to the grower. And uh we need to move this product. We need to sell this product. Um, and, and, and to do that, it's got to be traded. We've, we've got to minimize the impact of these insects. And if we don't, you're absolutely right. Um, it's very much like Sigma where we're taking, you know, orchards out and, and row crops out. And if there's no commodity there, there's no jobs. And so the same thing, you're going to see thing at the, these processing facilities, uh, even whole shellers, you know, I mean, if, if that product can't be sold, they can't get paid. And, and so it's just a, it's a domino effect that's going to be crippling if we're not able to use this. Certainly. And Roger, there are further usage restrictions for organophosphates like dichlorobos going into effect soon, or, or maybe they've already gone to f into effect. I'm not sure. And, you know, the ag industry is complying to ensure that these, these tools, these OPs are, are used safely and appropriately. Uh, you know, why is it important to to make that fact known that the industry is complying um, to the public for the sake of this entire argument. Well, again, I stated earlier, we want to provide, you know, not only safe food, but we want a safe work environment and a safe environment around our entire facility, whether it's our, our workers themselves, our, our families, or ourselves, you know, we don't want to use products unsafely. And if EPA or DPR or the registrants themselves have found a way that we can do it better, more safely, we need to do that. And, and I think that's why we've, you know, uh, in the case of dichlorovos, that yes, those things are now in effect and 
It changes the way that we're doing the applications. Um, and that's, we have to do that. And so there's not an issue there. It's again, if it's shown that we, that it is safer, uh, then that's what we're going to do. Certainly. Well, Roger, thanks for coming on the show today and, and talking about, you know, these, these claims that are being made against OPs and, and, and why, you know, the ag industry is, is willing to do whatever it takes to, to keep these products available so that areas of the industry just don't go down under and, 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 you know, just why these products are technically still important for the industry. We, we do appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Anytime. This is Taylor Charlstrom for My Ag Life. Thank you for listening. Subscribe for updates, exclusive content, and more at myaglife.com.